following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. It's where we were going to be last week. Um, You cannot open your Bibles without seeing the miraculous. I hope you realize that. The opening the opening chapter of the Bible is filled with miracle. The God of heaven, I mean the, the God of heaven who is shrouded in darkness, determined in one moment that he'd been planning this for all of eternity to make himself known. And he spoke. He spoke all the worlds into existence out of nothing. The Bible is filled with the miraculous. It starts with it. Throughout the pages of this book, we've already read about a supernatural flood wiping everything out. You'll read later on about God delivering his people out of Egypt by causing supernatural curses and then parting the Red Sea to have them walk on dry land at the bottom of an ocean. And then God follows them and shows his presence with them by a a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. We see miracles everywhere in the Bible. You see a miracle when young David with one smooth stone kills the giant Goliath. You see miracles in the book of Joshua when They needed a fight, and the Lord said, let me just cause the sun to stand still for 24 hours. Miracles are moments when the impossible becomes possible. They're literally moments when heaven intervenes on earth. And you think about miracles, and you may think about your own life, and I want to ask you a question as you think about miraculous things and impossible things. Is there anything in your life right now that you think is too hard for God? Maybe it's a broken relationship. It could be a son or a daughter that has cut you off from their lives and you think there is no way God could heal that. Maybe it's a friendship that at one time was like the joy of your life and it turned sour and you think there's no way God could reconcile that. Maybe it's your marriage. You know, it started off so romantic and loving and intimate and wonderful and caring, and it's just turned blah. And you don't think that God could ever intervene. Maybe it's a friend that you think is too far gone. There's no way they could ever become a Christian. How could this ever happen? God could not save that person, could he? Some things just seem impossible. Let me ask you a different question that's going to fit in as well with our sermon this morning, and it's going to fit in with the impossibility, but do you ever wonder about what God's attitude is toward you?
Maybe you see God as that super smart math professor or or that high expectation parent that anytime you ask them a question, you can feel their irritation with you. That's how you think God treats you. Maybe you see God like the kids at school or that don't want to hang out with you or that workaholic parent who just never had time for you. That's how you view your relationship with God and how God sees you. Do you ever wonder about God's attitude toward you? His posture, his his receptivity, his mild irritation. Well, the good thing for us is that the Bible shows us that we're not alone. We've had people that have gone before us that have had amazing things happen in their lives, and we've have pictures and stories of people being friends of God. We're going to study about that this morning. In your notes, there's a big idea, and here's the big idea that we want to explore today in Genesis 18. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. He has made a way for us to be his friends through his son Jesus. You're going to see how these two things, the impossible and friendship with God, come together in this story. Nothing is impossible for God. He has made a way for us to be his friends through his son, Jesus. In the story we're going to read, we're going to read about Sarah's famous laughter at God's promise. And we're going to read about God's response to her doubts. But we're also going to see something that I think is way more important in the story. God, God, the God of the universe, the holy God, the majestic God of all creation came down and had a meal with them. He visited their home. He dwelt among them. He made a way for us to be his friends. And this morning, if you, if you don't walk away with anything else, here's what I want you to walk away from with this. The God of the universe has made a way for you to be his friend and his child. And he cares for you. One evidence is that you're here. To reveal that he cares for you because you're, you may have thought that you made the decision to get out of bed to be here this morning, but I will tell you the God of the universe set this time on his clock and his calendar and he put you on it. He cares for you. He sees you and he has come after you and, and you're going to find as well that he is not impatient with you. He's not mildly frustrated with you. He's not, you know, tapping his foot, waiting for you to finally get home so he can really show you what his relationship with you is like. No, he cares about you. He sees you. He loves you. He's steadfast toward you. He's patient with you. He's always merciful and gracious toward you. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases toward you. And all he asks you to do, all he asks you to do is put your hope in him. To stake every ounce of your life upon the fact that he cares for you. And then he's made a way for you to be his friend. That's what we're going to see this morning in this brief story in the life of Abraham and Sarah. So stand with me. We're going to read Genesis 18, 1 through 15. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly to the tent of Sarah, to Sarah and said quickly, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to the young man and prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Father, this morning... Help us to see how you, the God of all possibilities, have made us your children. Help us to be amazed once again at the grace of God on display toward us. Father, empower the preaching of your word. Open our eyes to see amazing things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
Let's jump in by looking at the first point in your outline, which is unexpected visitors. You'll see this in verses 1 through 9. In Genesis 17, the Lord gave Abram, Abraham a sign of his covenant of grace, and Abraham obeyed the Lord immediately and did exactly what the Lord had told him to do. Chapter 18 is coming directly on the heels of Abraham being obedient to the Lord, and there seems to be a time delay, and we're told that the Lord once again comes to Abraham. He appeared to him at Abraham's tent in the heat of the day, and his his guest, the Lord and his guest, seem to come upon him suddenly. You're going to notice in the text that Abraham's kind of hanging out in his tent, or outside of his tent, and suddenly he picks his eyes up and he sees, behold, three guests standing in front of him. I mean, these, these would be sneaky, sneaky guests coming out of nowhere. The identity of these visitors is given away by Abraham's response. He bows low before them, and his comment of, O Lord, is the term Adonai, which means the one true God. In this story, what you have is the God of the universe coming to visit Abraham at his house, and he brings two angelic friends with him. What a moment this must have been. Now, anytime you see God come to earth in the Bible like this, theologians call it a big term called a theophany. It's a visible manifestation of God in human form. And usually in the Old Testament, when God came to earth in human form, it was the person of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's, it's Jesus showing up on the scene. We call that a Christophany. Now examples of this are found throughout the Bible. Let me just give you two of them. In Genesis 32, when Jacob wrestles with God, it says wrestle with a man, but we know that he wrestled with God. And in Joshua chapter 5, when Joshua meets up with the commander of the Lord's army. I love, I love that interaction because Joshua says, whose side are you on? And he says, neither. And then Joshua immediately knows like, this is a different dude. In Genesis 18, the Lord of all creation comes to visit Abraham. Abraham then gets busy welcoming him and doing what he does. He shows remarkable hospitality, puts his entire family to work, to feed these honored guests, to give them the best that he could possibly have to offer them. Wants to make them a quick meal, and you'll notice the interaction indicates that the Lord has come to hang out with Abraham. Says to him, don't, don't, don't go anywhere. If I found favor in your sight, stay. Well, what do they do? They stay. Revealing that indeed, yes, Abraham, you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this moment in Genesis 18, so you can put some context to other historical things in the Bible, is this moment in Genesis 18 is where the idea of Jewish and Christian hospitality came from. It's this story where that whole idea originated. The Jewish people in the New Testament era were some of the most hospitable people. They have traditions still where they are to open their home and make it available to strangers who might be traveling at night and take care of anybody who would ask them for bread or food. They were incredibly hospitable people. It's it's what drove the writer of Hebrews to write this 
verse about hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That's where this story, that whole idea originated. Through Abraham's hospitality to God and his angelic beings. Now what's interesting is, while that's the principle, one of the principles you can draw out of this text, it's not the main point. There is a main point. And the main point is this. God came to Abraham to his home with a message of the miracle. And we'll talk about the message in a moment, but I want you to focus with me on God coming to Abraham's home. We know from reading the text that that God was going to announce to Abraham the birth of his son Isaac. But coming to Abraham to share a meal with him was a sign of intimacy and friendship. This is God revealing something amazing in his interaction with humans. A.P. Ross put it like this. A good case can be made that the visitation to eat in Abraham's tent was meant to convey intimate fellowship. And on the basis of such a close relationship, the Lord would guarantee the imminent birth of the child of promise. Now this is incredibly important to the story of Genesis and the story of the Bible. Because in the beginning of the story of Genesis, we know Adam and Eve sinned against God. When they did that, our friendship with God was severed because of our sin. Intimacy with God was lost because of our sin. And throughout Genesis, what do you see? You continue to see sin throughout the book. We see evil in Noah's day. We see Noah and his family's sin. We see sin at the Tower of Babel. On and on and on is the story of our sin. Our sin seems to make it impossible for us to be friends with God again like we were in the Garden of Eden. But God, in the book of Genesis, continues to pursue rather than pushing people aside. We are not even halfway through the book of Genesis, and I want to ask you a question. You just ponder what we've studied. How often have you seen God going after people? Every page you see God going after people. That's very important to the story of the Bible. Very important to the study of Genesis. But I want to say something else, though. This is very important to your story. It's very important to my story. You are aware, and if you aren't, you should be, that your sin separated you from God. When you were born, you did not breathe the words, Oh, praise be thy great and glorious name, O God of heaven. The moment you breathed, you were in separation with God. The moment you're conceived, the Bible says, in sin, I've been conceived. Separated from God because of our sin and the nature of who we are. We want, the moment we're born, we come out of the womb crying, mine. Because we want our own way, we want our own rules, we want to build our own little kingdoms. 
But God keeps pursuing. God never stops coming. And if you ever want to just give a glimpse of the, the pursuing nature of God, just process that this God sent His only Son as a display of His love for you, not because you were pursuing Him. Do you believe that your God pursues you like that? See, you, you may, you may have been like us in our home on your sick bed of pain and not even having a moment or even energy to pray. And you wonder, where is your God? Well, this chapter tells us your God is pursuing you. You may have sinned against God this week or just this morning and the God of the universe is declaring to you through these pages of scripture, he is pursuing because that's what he does. It should amaze you that your God would make a way to have a friendship with you. Through all of your years of sinning and every reason why God would never give you evidence, why you never give God evidence to love you back, God continues to pursue moment by moment by moment by moment. That should amaze us. God pursues. We see that. We're, we're barely halfway, we're not even halfway through the book of Genesis. Let's go to the second point, which is, is anything too hard for God? At this point of the Lord's visit, he begins to look for Sarah. Now we know that the God of the universe hasn't lost Sarah, right? I mean, he knows right where she's at. He wants Abraham to know he's got a promise for her. And he lets him know that this promise is about the time this coming year, same time, Sarah's going to have a son. Now Moses, the author then, lets us in on some secrets. He decides to tell us, because we don't know where Sarah's at, that she's nearby listening from inside the tent. Now you, you, if you're parents and You've gone camping before. You know this moment. You're trying to have a secret conversation with your spouse out by the campfire, and your kids are in the tent listening. That's what's happening here. Sarah is eavesdropping, listening to what's happening, and the author, Moses, just wants us to know her location, but also wants us to know her thoughts. And he reminds us they are both too old to have kids. At that moment is when we get to hear the most famous laughter in the Bible. Sarah's. She laughs to herself and says under her breath that she and Abraham just can't do this. I mean, just look at us. We're way past our prime. There's no way this could possibly happen. And God's response to this is very interesting. He says in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, what's interesting is Sarah did not laugh out loud. She laughed to herself, we're told. Revealing the the divine omniscience of this being, God, looking into her tent, hearing her laugh, 
hearing the thoughts in her heart, questioning the power of God. And God's response is, hey, is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, the Lord knew that this was not beyond his ability. (laughs) I mean, after all, this is the God who spoke the universe into existence. Bringing a child to a woman who is past her prime is not a big deal for God. But the way God said this is very interesting. We could translate this, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? He used words to say something like this. Hard things, impossible things, are wonderful for me to do. God saying loudly to Abraham and Sarah, hey, stop for a This would be fun for me to do. Hard things, impossible things, I find delight in doing. Is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord? And then the the text closes with this odd interaction again about Sarah's laughter, which she denies again. And you might wonder, why, why is that even brought up again? Well, here's why it's brought up. One commentator put it this way. The unquestionable, decisive fact, both the narrator, for both the narrator and the reader, is that the word of Yahweh was laughed at. Now, for a moment, I want you to think how relatable this moment is. We've all questioned God's power to do something that he said he could do. And when we read about the things he promised to do, we might not laugh out loud. We might not giggle inside, but we might say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Have you ever read How the gospel is the power of God. The only thing in the Bible that is said to be the power of God is the gospel for everyone who would trust and believe in Christ. And yet, in your mind, thought of a certain individual that you're thinking of right now and thought there's no way God could save them. Yeah, right. Have you ever had a conflict with somebody? And think there's no way this could ever be reconciled. Yet read that God has called you to be a peacemaker and to go to them to first be reconciled to them. And thought to yourself, no way that could ever happen. Have you ever doubted that God hears you? Little old you when you pray. Yet read in your Bible that God tells you to cast All your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Have you ever looked at your meager finances and thought there's no way we could ever get out of this mess? No way we could pay our bills? And have you ever doubted God's provision for milk and bread while you're reading Romans 8.32 and Philippians 4.19? Yeah, right. 
See, we might not have an angelic visitation with a promise of a miracle child being born to us to doubt and laugh and question God. But friends, we do it all the time and we show it by our hesitation. But can't you hear the text? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's look at our last point, which is the impossible made possible. Because I want to summarize this to see what we've seen and where it can lead us, where it should lead us. The opening pages of Genesis reveal to us a sovereign authority of God who created all things by his spoken word. He made us as humans to glorify him. And when we did, we flourished as humans. But when we sinned against God by eating of the forbidden fruit, we were immediately separated from God. And our friendship with God was severed. Rather than glorifying God, we wanted our own glory. Rather than thriving, we live in a world that feels the effects of human demise everywhere. It's interesting. All throughout your culture, they're looking for how can humans thrive? Their answer is humans thrive by disobeying God. The Bible says humans thrive by glorifying God. It's a big difference. We're separated from God and we know it. But God promised to pursue us and reconcile us through his mercy and grace. We've seen that throughout Genesis. He would provide a champion for us who would crush our enemy's head and restore us to God. And throughout Genesis, the question is this. How can we be restored to God like we were in, in Eden? And when and how would this champion come? That's the question. In other words, when and how would the impossible work of restoring our friendship to God come through God's grace and God's champion? That's the question. And the story in Genesis 18 gives us an answer to how it's going to happen. How is the impossible going to be made possible? How is God going to restore friendship with him? And when is his champion going to come? See, since Genesis 12, the Lord has been building his covenant of grace with Abraham. Abraham is a friend of God because of God's grace, not because of Abraham's righteousness. He was made righteous because of God's grace. And in Genesis 18, God comes to Abraham, has a meal with Abraham, and tells he and Sarah the time has come for the promise of the covenant to be fulfilled in the miracle birth of Isaac. And in this moment, God shows us how he's going to make the impossible possible. And it's found in one phrase. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's going to come by a miracle birth. It's going to come by the God of the universe 
bringing about a miracle birth. Now, what's interesting is, if you know your Bibles, you'll know the Jewish people were aware of this. They searched for it everywhere. It's why when you read your Bible, you're going to read an emphasis on barren women becoming pregnant. You have it with Hannah, who becomes the mother of Samuel. You have it with Manoah's wife, who becomes the mother of Samson. Miracle births were all a part of their story, and they longed for the coming of this champion, this Messiah, this one who would restore all things. Because in the background of their mind, here's what they're hearing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What's intriguing is, there's only one other miracle birth in the Bible that's connected to is anything too hard for the Lord. Only one. And it's in Luke chapter 1, when an angel of the Lord appeared to the Virgin Mary, an unmarried Jewish young lady, that said she would have a son, the Messiah, the Son of God. When she asked, how can this be since I'm a virgin? You can hear, right? Wait, stop. Stop news. Impossible. I'm a virgin. Can't happen. The angel said, what? Nothing is impossible with God. In other words, Mary... Is anything too hard for the Lord? Showing us Genesis 18 is a signpost pointing you to Luke chapter 1. Isaac's miraculous birth is a forerunner to the miraculous birth of Jesus. Now friends, this is important to the story of the Bible and important to the story of your lives. How could God do the impossible of restoring our friendship with God? How does God come to us in his mercy and grace? It comes through a miraculous birth. It comes through the question, is anything too hard for God? And God's answer is no. But there's one other Little miraculous birth I want to show you. One other one that's not physical, but spiritual that you must see. Because to be friends of God, we've got to experience our own miraculous birth. In John chapter 3, Jesus is interacting with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is curious. How can a person... Be a friend of God and see the kingdom of God. How does that happen? Jesus is answering a very interesting question. And his answer is intriguing. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, if you want to be a friend of God, you must be born again. Now, now Nicodemus' mind is blown at this point. Wait, Stop. How can this be? Can a person who is old be born twice? Come on. It's ridiculous. It's impossible. 
Notice Jesus' reply very carefully. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. In other words, Jesus is saying, do not say it's impossible that somebody must be born again. Why? Because the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? He miraculously gives new birth. You can hear Jesus looking at Nicodemus and saying to him, Nicodemus, is anything too hard for the Lord? Have you not seen it in Isaac? Have you not seen it in me? And now you think that for a person to be born again is impossible. Which is easier for the Lord? Bring about a miracle child to a barren woman or make an enemy his friend? Give a baby to a virgin or give people new birth? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What's interesting is this is exactly what seems to happen to Sarah. She gets born again. You know how we know that? Because the writer of Hebrews tells us. It tells us that she saw God as faithful to his promise. She began to trust. Oh, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. Friend, do you trust the God who can do the impossible because he is faithful? Do you trust the God who can do the impossible because he is faithful? It's interesting. God's intimate friends know a thing or two about miracle births. Those who believe in Jesus' life, death, resurrection are friends of God because we've been born again to a living hope. He has made a way for us to be his friends. <clears throat> he even said in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, guess what we're going to do? We're going to have a meal together. He made the impossible possible. So maybe you're here this morning and here's... As you entered the door, here's what you thought to yourself. Look, man, there's no way that God would ever want me as his friend. My sin and my issues are too big. This story tells you otherwise. God comes after you. God brought you here. God sent his son for you. God's spirit is working in you right now to convict you of your sin and draw you to a right relationship with him and open your eyes to believe in the living in the living Christ. And all you need to do this morning is put your hope in him to say, I believe he's faithful to his word. Turn to him. Do that. But maybe, Christian, listen, you're here in the room and you've been doubting God to do something that he clearly states in his word that he can do. Save a loved one. Provide for your needs. Reconcile you to a a, a lost and 
a son or daughter who has walked out and disowned you and you think there's no way God could ever do this. This text, this text simply calls you to trust and obey your God, believing that he is faithful. Is anything too hard for God? Is it too hard for God to do what you think is impossible for him to do? A.P. Ross writes this about this text. First, the Lord fellowships with his people. Second, the Lord promises his people that which on the human level seems totally impossible. In it all, the Lord expects his people to respond by faith and not doubt. For his word is based on his nature. If the people of God who enjoy covenantal fellowship with him fully believed what he said he would do now or at any time in the history of the faith, their lives, their world would be very different. Let's pray. As you are before the Lord this morning, where... Is God poking at you and saying, is anything too hard for me? Father, we, we are, we are finite, frail, weak. Our faith is small. Our eyes don't see past our own noses. We are myopic, self-centered. And Lord, we may not laugh, but we sure do question and hesitate. And we ask you to forgive us. Where you have clearly spoken in your word and we have failed to obey, would you forgive us? Church, right now where you're at, just confess that to the Lord. Maybe it's you doubting that God could save a loved one. Maybe you've, in a sense, you've not limited God, but you limited God in your mind. And in your life. And you live like it. This morning the Lord is calling you. To trust him and obey. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. And right now, I would just tell you to tell him that you believe he's faithful and he's true and that you want to live your life for him. Father, stir our non-Christian friend who, who right now they've come and they don't know, they don't know your love. 
They question your grace. Transform their eyes to see the beauty of Christ. Father, we we want to respond as Sarah did. Because he who promised is faithful. We may laugh yesterday, but we want to rejoice tomorrow. We want to obey today. Thank you that you have made a way the impossible to be possible, that we could be your friends. Thank you that you're visiting with us right now. (laughs) That you care enough to inhabit our praises and be with us and hang out with us and be our friend and our God and our master. We put our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.